Yeah, would you pray with me? Father, the song we just sang, we offer back to you as a confession in prayer that we are in desperate need of you. Every ounce of our being, the breath in our lungs, the the concerns and the burdens we carry, God, we need you. We thank you that you meet us in our place of need, and that you've given us through Christ your spirit to comfort, to strengthen, and to guide. Would you encourage our hearts now as we open your word? Would you teach us by your spirit? Help me to be faithful in handling it that we might be built up as your people. We thank you. You are good. You are sufficient. And you can speak to us and build us up now through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, River City. Um, If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 105, and if you don't have one, you can slip your hand up and Joe uh, or Joy will be uh, bringing them around. Um, We'd love to have you uh, read along with us. Uh, Some of the text will be on the screen as well. We are in the home stretch of the fourth book of the Psalms in Psalm 105. Uh, Today, we'll finish up next week in Psalm 106, and then starting in two weeks on June 9th, we'll uh, begin a a summer preaching series uh, looking at Hebrews chapter 11, picking it out section by section, working through each one of those Old Testament uh, stories, the narrative there, and uh, what does it mean for us to live by faith? in light of God's continued faithfulness to his people over and over and over again through Abel and Abraham and Moses and so on. And so we're looking forward to that. Um, There'll be a number of voices in the pulpit unpacking week after week through Hebrews chapter 11, and we're looking forward to, to that. So as we open Psalm 105 this morning, I'd like to start with a question. Coming out of a season of change, or or maybe for you, some personal challenges. The question is this, how do we move toward renewal? And even more, how do we know when we get there? See, for some of us, moving forward through hardship and into hope, sometimes for some of us, moving forward in, in anything is easy. Some of you don't even care which direction you're going as long as you're moving. This is particularly true in traffic, right? You drive seven miles out of your way as long as the car continues to drive. You're not stopped at a stoplight or behind 15 cars or a train, right? For others of us, uh, moving forward is difficult. We don't want to make the wrong move, and so getting off of square one sometimes never happens because I don't want to make the wrong move, so I make no moves, And so book four of the Psalms, if we remember from the very beginning of this series, is compiled to to encourage and build up God's people coming out of a a season of challenge and hardship. Leaving exile. God's people were in exile because of their own sin and God was rescuing them and renewing them and bringing them back to the place that he had called them to, the place he had prepared for them. And these final few Psalms that we've been in are intended to kind of stir up 
hearts that are grateful and full of praise, remembering it's God who's rescued us. It's God who is worthy. And so before we read the text, a brief outline of our text starts with five verses which are filled with commands, instructions, specifically worship commands. And then over the next 40 verses, the psalmist unpacks a few different parts of the redemption narrative of God rescuing his people, making covenant with his people, and fulfilling his promise over and over again. And then it closes with a, with a hallelujah, with a praise the Lord. And so let's read together Psalm 105. There are 45 verses, and so I'm going to try to not read it monotone, move through it relatively quickly, but also clearly. So it'll be on the screen and invite you to read along in your Bibles as well. This is God's word for us today, Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he's done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Verse 7, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, and to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Verse 12, while they were few in number, of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The ruler of the peoples set him free, and he made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Verse 23, Then Israel came to Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Verse 26, He sent Moses his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. And they performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood, caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, and even in the chambers of their kings, he spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up all the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their strength. 
Verse 37, then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. And there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Verse 43. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations. And they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God, without error and useful, all 45 verses in Psalm 105, to instruct us. May it continue to work in our hearts and minds by faith and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, before we unpack the text itself, one further note, one other little rabbit trail. Verses 1 through 15 of this psalm are almost a word-for-word copy the same as 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 7 through 22. In fact, I could have read verses 7 through 22 for the first 15 verses, and no matter the translation you were reading in, you probably couldn't tell the difference. If you remember, a number of weeks ago when we were studying Psalm 96, I told you that the first part of Psalm 96 was almost a word-for-word copy of 1 Chronicles 16, verses 22 through 33. See, 1 Chronicles 16 is a, is a song of praise that David, King David instructed the people to sing. And he instructed them to sing it as the Ark of the Covenant, the, the representation of God's presence among his people, was brought back to where it belonged. In 1 Chronicles 16, they're worshiping because... Because worship, rightful worship of God is being renewed. And in Psalm 96 and here in Psalm 105, the same song of praise is being sung, not because the presence of God is being returned to the people, but rather the people are returning and remembering the promise of God to be their God and their king and bring them back to the place that he has promised them. The promise of God is being renewed amongst them. So the big idea here in Psalm 105 is this. Renewal comes by remembering and is marked by rejoicing. Renewal comes by remembering and is marked by rejoicing. We'll start in verse 6 and work our way through the text and then come back to the first five verses at the end. Renewal comes by remembering. Look at verse 6. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. They're being called to remember. Remember who you are. Abraham, called by God, said, I will make you the father. God said, I'll make you the father of many nations, Abraham. And in Abraham and in his son Isaac and in Isaac's son Jacob is the birth of the people of God. And listen to the, what they're called to remember. He is the Lord. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. He commanded it. He confirmed that covenant. When they were few in number and wandering in the wilderness, it says he protected them. He rebuked kings and nations. Notice the theme here. From the very beginning, God was at work. 
calling out Abraham, establishing a people, confirming his promise to generation after generation, protecting and leading and guiding. He, his, he. God is the Lord. God remembers his covenant. God protected them. And it's good for us to remember God's faithfulness to his people in history. Because all of God's work of redemption in history that's recorded for us here in the scriptures was, was a blessing and, and a, a purposeful, real-time promise fulfilled for God's people. It was absolutely that. And for us, we see that Jesus is a more perfect fulfillment of these same promises of God to lead, guide, protect See, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, humbled himself, taking the nature of a servant, subjected himself to death on a cross, taking the punishment for my sin and your sin. Stop me if you've heard this before. And 1 Peter tells us that just as Abraham, as God was through Abraham making for himself a people, that through Christ is establishing for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 8 that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham, who did not know the name of Jesus, God the Son in the flesh, in this way, looked forward to redemption that was to come and believed that God would fulfill that promise. And we look back at redemption accomplished in Christ Jesus as our hope. Renewal comes by remembering that Jesus is our Redeemer. So remembering for us is remembering that Jesus is the one who is our Redeemer. Let's continue. Verses 16 through 25 recount the faithfulness of God to provide. And look what it says. God provided through Joseph all that Jacob and his family needed. Now, there was famine in Canaan. Canaan was the the land that God had given to Abraham as part of the covenantal promise. And God used the sinfulness of Joseph's brothers who hated him and beat him and sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. God used the sinfulness of, of Joseph's brothers to send Joseph ahead to Egypt so that at a time when famine would come, Joseph would be in the place that God had ordained to provide relief and food and shelter and care for God's people. Think about that. God, it says in uh, Psalm 105, God sent Joseph ahead. Not just to provide for Jacob and his family, but provide for the entire nation of Israel, excuse me, of Egypt. The entire nation. And in a land not their own, 105 tells us God would prosper his people. Look at the pronouns here too. He, God, summoned famine. God sent Joseph ahead of his brothers. Joseph was in chains until what God determined and told Joseph came to pass. God made his people prosper in a land not their own. We see God's faithfulness on display in the life of Joseph. And Joseph, for us, points to Jesus, is a picture, if you will, of Jesus. Joseph, a son dearly loved by his father. Jesus, a son dearly loved by his father. 
Joseph, betrayed and traded for silver. Jesus, betrayed by his own and traded for silver. Wrongly imprisoned, but was raised to a place of authority. Joseph showed mercy to his brothers who had betrayed him, and he saved his family. Jesus shows mercy and forgiveness to betrayers whose sin hung him on a cross and created a family. In Jesus, we prosper spiritually and have every spiritual blessing beyond the provision of food and shelter that Joseph provided his family. Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have every spiritual blessing that we'd ever need. We remember that through Christ, God has provided not just for our practical needs out of his kind and gracious hand, but for our greatest need, reconciliation with God himself, forgiveness. The Old Testament tells us that Jacob and his children prospered and grew, but remained too long in the land of Egypt, ultimately becoming enslaved. And eventually, their cry for deliverance reached as the scriptures say, reach the ears of the Lord. So renewal comes by remembering that it's Jesus that is our provider and our deliverer. Look at verses 26 through 38. Verse 25 says that God turned the hearts of the Egyptians against his people. And then in verse 26, the psalmist says that God sent Moses and Aaron to rescue his people, to lead them out and lead them back to the land that God had promised their father Abraham. Look at the descriptions again here. God sent the darkness. God turned the water to blood. God brought swarms of frogs and locusts and flies. God brought hail and lightning, striking down trees and crops, and finally striking down the firstborn of anyone whose doorpost was not covered by the blood of a lamb. See, that final plague in Egypt was the death of the firstborn. The only salvation from that plague, the only way to to get out of that problem was an act of obedience done in faith that God would keep his promise. Faith that God would pass over the houses that had the blood of the lamb painted on the doorposts. The psalmist is calling God's people to remember the faithfulness of God in the Passover. And he's calling us to remember the faithfulness of Christ on the cross, our Passover lamb. That we are not destroyed because the blood of a lamb is painted over the doorposts of our lives. That he might pass over our sins. That our sins would be laid on him and that his righteousness would pass to us. This is part of our practical reminder when we celebrate communion every week, which we'll do in just a few minutes. We are proclaiming out loud this reality that Christ is the sacrifice for our sin, that the bread and the cup represent him as our Passover lamb. Renewal comes by remembering that Jesus is the good and perfect sacrifice for our sins. And finally, the last section, verses 39 through 45. Not only does God bring his people out of Egypt, but verse 37 and 38, he brings them out with silver and gold. And Egypt was glad, the psalmist tells us, when they departed. In the first service, I likened it to like when you finally leave that really long weekend after a family reunion 
And maybe I shouldn't compare family reunions to slavery in Egypt, but you all know what I'm saying, right? Like you're, you're glad to leave. Again, maybe that's a bad analogy. Maybe you're like, I like my family. Um, but God provides not just, he doesn't just rescue them, but they actually like pay them to leave with silver and gold and livestock and supplies. And in verses 39 through 45, we're, we, we see really clearly it's God who leads. It's God who provides. God led them in the wilderness. Was himself a pillar of cloud to lead them, millions of people through the, the wilderness, uh, a cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. God provided bread from heaven every day that they did not have to provide for themselves. More so, he provided quail. And it says, when they asked, they presumed and said, you know, God, some, some meat would also be nice. Okay, I'll give you quail as well. And God gave them water from a rock. Literally, satisfying the thirst of millions of people and livestock from a rock. God used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. God spoke through Moses. God gave the law on the mountain, which we have in the commandments. Moses was the mediator between God and Israel. And later, Joshua like, led them into the promised land. But Moses was an imperfect mediator. Aaron and Joshua and every priest that would follow and every king and prophet, every sacrifice offered to cover sin was temporary. Every mediation between holy God and sinful man was temporary. There was not one that could permanently sustain the type of mediation, the type of bridge that was necessary to cover that gap between God's holiness and man's sinfulness. This is why Jesus is a better mediator. One who would sacrifice himself once for all. One who would say, it is finished. It's done. I have completed the work. The wall between God and man is now torn down. And in fact, the one who would sit down as a picture of completion and who seated at the right hand of God mediates, which literally means prays for. He intercedes for his people always. Renewal comes from remembering that Christ is our mediator. Christ is our permanent access to a good and perfect Father in heaven. Renewal comes by remembering and is marked by rejoicing. Look at verse 43. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. Psalm 126 says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they, the outside nations, said amongst one another, said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has done good, good, great things for us, and we are glad. See, every time the Lord restores his people, the response is praise. When the Lord brings his people out of slavery in Egypt, praise. When the Lord is bringing his people out of 
of bondage and out of slavery in Babylon. These people coming out of uh, slavery here that we're, that we're processing through in book four and back into the promised land. What's the response? Praise. And for us, being transferred from the dominion of darkness, slaves to sin and death, now redeemed and rescued from the domain of darkness, brought into the kingdom of his beloved son, no longer under sin and death, the response is praise. See, verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 105 are are filled with commands. There's nine of them in here, statements, commands to worship. Charles Spurgeon calls them a series of holy exercises, which I found good. Even though exercising, you may not like exercising, these are good ones. We should practice these. That's what he's, he's getting at. These are practices and proofs of our renewal. That sanctification, this, that's just a big word. It means our, our growth, our maturing, our, our, our growing in holiness and faith, that it's actually happening. They're part of our rejoicing. And I left them here at the end and handled these first verses at the end because I wanted us to pile up a mountain of God's faithfulness in history to see the why. Why these things? Why are we commanded to do these things or worship in this way? Well, it's in light of this giant mountain of God's faithfulness that he's calling us to live like this. Now, it's one thing to desire renewal. And it's another thing to pursue that through remembering. But a nagging question as I've been prepping this week and maybe is going on right now in your mind is this. How do I actually know when I'm on my way? It's like a kid in the backseat of the car asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Anyone who's a parent is like, I can relate to this. This happens in our car ride usually about 10 minutes in. It doesn't really matter where we're going. We could be going like across town or to the Twin Cities and one kid who shall remain nameless, sitting in this general region, will ask, are we there yet? And typically, it's, for me, it's one of two responses. Either one, does it look like we're there yet? That's the sarcastic, cynical response. Or the other one, we'll get there when we get there. Typically, that's my response. Whether or not those are good, I don't know. But that's the response to, are we there yet? And the funny thing is, we want to picture ourselves as the driver in that scenario. But the reality is, we're the kids in the back seat going, are we there yet? Impatiently waiting on the long trek from, from, from pain to progress, from trials to victory, from brokenness to renewal. We're the kid in the back seat going, are we there yet? And the psalmist says there's nine verbs here, nine actions, nine things we're being called to to do in obedience by faith. And that these things do two things. They both move us along in the process of renewal and they show us that something is actually happening in us. That the Spirit is at work. So it both moves us forward and confirms that the Spirit is moving. So there are three things in verse 1. Give thanks, call upon His name, and make known His deeds among the peoples. 
we're going to look at each of these. Giving thanks. This is not just an outward expression of thanks, but a, but a posture of gratitude towards God. If I can push even a little bit further, I think this posture of gratitude, if I can say it that way, is most clearly seen when it would be easier to grumble or complain. When the news comes back that isn't good, when the arrow on your investment portfolio is pointing the wrong direction, we could grumble and complain like God's people in the wilderness. Well, gee, God, you provided bread from heaven, but it's a little dry. Could we also get some poultry? Oh, and by the way, we're thirsty. Remember when we were in Egypt? I mean, we were in slavery, but at least we had three square meals. Right? We, we look at God's provision and go, I wish I had a better meal plan. Where are you tempted to, to grumble against God, God's provision rather than choose a willing heart of gratitude for his best provision for you now in this season? Giving thanks. Two, calling upon his name. When you read that phrase, call upon the name of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's an allusion to gathering together in corporate worship to lift up the name of the Lord. To call upon the name of the Lord is to engage with God's people in prayer and praise. We testify together of the greatness of God. And there are times when we don't feel like it. But so often, we even come into a, a, a gathering like this, maybe not feeling like it, but we leave even feeling a little refreshed. Maybe not everything's tied up and in a nice bow and our lives are all great when we leave, but, there, but something happens. Well, why is that? Because rejoicing together is part of how the Spirit works to renew our hearts. You're here right now, which is good. I'm very grateful for every face that I can see and all the faces that are in the nursery or out there that I can't see. But even when we don't feel like it, we have to acknowledge that God uses this gathering together, this testifying, to do some work of re-engaging and renewing our hearts. So do you tend to be reluctant worship with God's people? What's keeping you from engaging in worship? Psalmist says, call upon his name. Three, make known his deeds among the peoples. This phrase has come up a handful of times in these psalms that we've studied. We talked about it in Psalm 96. Worship is both praise to God and proclamation about what God has done. It's both. And of all the miracles that God has worked, and there are innumerable amount of things that God has done, that we, even just the ones we see, the most miraculous thing is the saving of sinners through Christ Jesus. The greatest miracle is that God would redeem his lost and wayward people. Pastor Lig Duncan says, the act of sharing the gospel is an act of worship. Making known his deeds among the people is part of our worship. So who in your world right now needs to hear of the miraculous work of God to rescue and redeem? The places where God's positioned you, in your family, or in your neighborhood, or in your school, or, or the place where you work. God has placed you in that place, amongst 
those people as the vehicle for his good news of redemption to them. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Verse 2 has two commands. Sing and tell. Sing to him is pretty simple. Just means sing. Maybe that is a letdown for you. But that's what it means. Sing. It doesn't matter if you don't think you can sing very well or even if you don't like to sing. Sing. Music is a gift of common grace. And praise together connects truth with music to engage both our heart and our mind. We choose our songs on purpose here on Sundays. The desire is to sing true things about God, true things to God that engage our minds and our hearts to rightly worship God for who he is. It's both to God and it's informative. So what does it look like to sing praises with confidence, with boldness, with passion? And the next one is tell. Tell of all his wondrous works. Some of you don't prefer to sing. You prefer to talk. So talk about him. That's what the psalmist, I think, is saying. There's lots of things that get us excited, engaged in conversation, engage our emotions, and become the focus of what we talk about. And those aren't bad things. But what would it look like to more regularly engage our mouths in the practice of telling others about who God is and what he has done? Verse 3 has two more. Glory in his name, and let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Glorying in his name. This is internal. This is an internal part of our worship. It's esteeming God more than anything else. It's treasuring the name of Jesus as the most precious thing, period. Not top on the list of priorities of other things, but as the treasure of our souls, our object of highest delight. Are there other things that creep in and steal our attention, steal your attention, that you and I tend to treasure more? And then uh, number seven, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. This one might seem simple too, but it simply means being glad in Jesus. This is one of those places where the Holy Spirit is working in us to command our feelings, to command our emotions. Believing the truth of who God is and what he has done moves my heart to right emotion. Where am I glad in Jesus and where am I not? Verse 4 just has one, the eighth one. It says, seek the Lord. Seeking the Lord is pursuing him. Not waiting back, but pursuing him. Seeking his face, as it says in verse 4, is about prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but my tendency is to operate in my own strength, to muscle through, and when I've exhausted myself, then I ask for help. But that is not the pattern here. That is not the command. The scriptures are very clear that that it's actually seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew chapter 6. It's praying without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's a constant acknowledgement of our need. 
It's believing and singing quietly in my head and in my heart the song we just sang out loud before we started. I need you. I need you. By the way, whatever I'm walking into next, I need you for that too. Acknowledgement of our need for the Lord to sustain us. Seek the Lord. And finally, verse 5. There's one more in verse 5 that brings us right back to where we began. The ninth command the psalmist gives us is to remember. Remember the wondrous works he has done. And remembering is an act of worship. It's an act of rejoicing. See, it's easy for us to lose sight of the simple and powerful truth of the gospel. We forget the miracle of what it means that we would be saved and redeemed and forgiven. And in the slow process of renewal and growth for us, we, we struggle to find hope because we've lost sight of what God has done. Will we ever get there? Because it, it moves so slowly sometimes. So I don't know which of these commands comes more easily for you and which of them is more challenging. Are there any of these? Which one of these, maybe even now, are you being prompted by the Spirit of God of like, yeah, that's, that's conviction. I'm, I'm feeling that one. I don't know what that is for you. I'd encourage you to, to press into that. See, brothers and sisters, we can have confidence that we will get there because throughout Psalm 105, we have seen God's faithfulness on display over and over and over again. God promises, God fulfills his promise. God promises, God fulfills his promise. And in Christ Jesus, the love of God, the promise to redeem and to save and to make all things new is on display in Jesus. And so the God who began a good work in you, we believe in confidence that he will bring that work to completion upon the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 1. So we rejoice. Hallelujah, the psalmist closes. Praise the Lord. Renewal comes by remembering and is marked by rejoicing. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in your mercy and kindness and patience, you sent Jesus at the right time to rescue and redeem a wayward and wicked people. And you didn't leave us like that, but you have redeemed us and forgiven us and are giving us life now as ones beloved by you. Would you stir in our hearts a fresh hope that as we wait and as we toil and in in the time of where we need to be patient, that you would anchor our hope fresh to your faithfulness and encourage our hearts as we worship you for your goodness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.